Well, good morning. I'll bring you greetings from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. As uh, Pastor Buster mentioned, uh, I've had the privilege of serving there for the last 10 years. Uh, Southeastern uh, exists or seeks to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. And so it's a, a wonderful opportunity for me to be able to come here and to speak to a partnering church who obviously is, is doing that. You're equipping your church members to fulfill the Great Commission as well. And so it's a blessing to be here this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 12. This morning, I'm going to be sharing with you a message entitled, Divine Opportunities Await You. Divine Opportunities Await You. So, Genesis chapter 12, I'll read verses 1 through 3, and uh, then we'll break that down together. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Divine opportunities await you. They're divine in the sense that God is sovereign and has a plan and a purpose for every single human being's life. There are opportunities in the sense that God places his will before us and we must choose in faith and obedience to follow after that plan and purpose, to be on mission with our God who is a missionary God. It's, it's as if you come to a fork in the road. I believe that all of life is characterized by divine opportunities where you come to a fork in the road and if you turn to the right every subsequent opportunity will be shaped by that decision or if you turn to the left every subsequent opportunity will be shaped by that decision I look back at my own life and I see several key divine opportunities that I faced several times that I came to a fork in the road and had decisions to make. I, I was not raised in a Christian home. I, I grew up just outside of Atlanta, and uh, the, the only time that I was able to go to church is when my grandmothers took me to Sunday school or vacation Bible school or whatnot, but my parents did not attend church on a regular basis. And so I grew up knowing about Jesus, knowing about the gospel, but never encountering that in my home and not really understanding what that looked like. And then as Pastor Buster shared, and I ended up at University of Georgia, which is not exactly known for its Christian heritage. And uh, there my life began to go down all kinds of paths. But I can tell you that in January of 1991, the Lord placed a fork in the road before me. And it came in the form of a young man taking the time to share the gospel with me at a bus stop at University of Georgia. I'll go ahead and tell you that I was not the most approachable person at the time. Uh, I had my black leather Harley jacket on, my uh, long hair, my gold earring, and I was chain smoking my cigarettes, which I'd become accustomed to doing. And yet this man came up to me, this young man came up to me, and he told me something that shaped my life. He said, I don't care where you've gone. 
I don't care what you've done, you haven't gone beyond the love of God in Christ. Now, I would love to tell you that right there I prayed to receive Christ, but that's not the case. In fact, I spoke some harsh words to him and walked away. But the Spirit of God was not finished with me. A fork in the road lay before me, a divine opportunity. And about a week later, through the investment of some other people, I did turn and place my faith in Jesus Christ. And my life has been forever changed, every subsequent decision. I was studying pre-law. I was going to go to law school there in the University of Georgia, and yet God changed all future opportunities based upon that one uh, decision that I made. Several years later, I was a high school teacher in North Atlanta, and I was preparing to, to marry my bride, Cat, uh, who will be here in the second service, and um, just before we got married, the missions pastor at our local church called, uh, called me up and he said, hey, George, I want you to go on this mission trip to the country of Panama with me this summer. Now, I was all for missions as long as it was someone else. I would support a missionary. I would pray for missionaries. But now, this is the point where the rubber met the road, right? I, I was asked to go on mission. Though I was evangelistic in, in Atlanta, I didn't know what that looked like overseas. And so I ended up going to the country of Panama just a few weeks before my wedding. And when I got there, I encountered this young lady named Itzel. And Itzel lived close to an hour bus ride from the closest evangelical church. But she had been praying, Lord, send someone to help me to start a church in my village. I had no idea that's what I was going to do. But when I was paired up with Itzel and an interpreter, we went house to house through her little village. And over the course of the next week, we saw close to three dozen of her neighbors repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ. At the end of my time there, there was a little church that was meeting under a tin roof in the middle of Itzel's village. And she blessed me. She, she served me some chicken soup on that last day where she had taken one of her free-range chickens and cooked that and there wasn't enough room in her little one-room house for us to gather and so we sat in her front yard and we celebrated what the Lord had done through his faithfulness over the course of that week using ordinary people like us to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. And I, I'll tell you that on that day, I, I, I was eating the soup and I got a little bit on my hands and I asked Itzel, I said, Itzel, can I have a, a napkin, please? And Itzel responded, she says, un momento, por favor, just, just one minute, please. A few minutes went by and I reminded Itzel, I said, where's that napkin? And she said, un momento. And then I looked up and I saw something that absolutely wrecked my life. It was Itzel's 10-year-old daughter riding a bicycle down that dirt path with one napkin in her hand. You see, Itzel didn't have the finances to, to buy things that you throw away. She had a towel, could have given it to me, but I'd asked for a napkin, and she was going to bless me with what I asked for. And I remember sitting in her front yard on that day, thinking to myself, um, life, life for me must change in light of this moment. I was at a fork in the road. I couldn't look at my relationships the same anymore. I could not look at my finances the same anymore. I could not look at my career goals the same anymore. I was at the point of a divine opportunity. And when I got off the airplane a couple of days later, 
just six days before my wedding, my wife-to-be looked at me and she said, are we going to be doing this the rest of our lives? She wasn't on that trip. She didn't meet Itzel. She didn't have those experiences. But I looked at Kat and I, I said, yes, I think this is what God is calling us to do. And she said, good. I told you I would follow you anywhere, and I meant it. We had no idea where that journey would lead us. But I can tell you today, had we known, we would not have had the faith to take that initial step. And that's precisely what we see here in this text of Scripture. When we look at the life of Abram in Genesis chapter 12, we see a man faced with a divine opportunity. And every divine opportunity is always in accordance with the Word of God. Look at the text. It says, now the Lord had said to Abram. This Lord that the text is speaking of is the creator of the heavens and the earth and the one who fashioned Abram in his very own image and likeness. Now, who is this character Abram? He's introduced one chapter earlier in Genesis 11, but not a whole lot of information is given about him. However, if you look back at the Jewish history books, what you'll find is that Abram was no extraordinary man. In fact, he was of ordinary stock. The the Talmud says that Abram's father was likely an idol manufacturer. Not just an idolater, but one who fashioned idols for people to worship false gods. And, And Abram had been brought up in that environment And at some point, they had encountered the Lord God and moved from Ur of the Chaldees to a city called Haran. And and here, the Lord speaks to Abram. And in that moment, Abram is uh, faced with a divine opportunity. He is standing at a fork in the road. You see, a lot of people say that they, they can't hear God's calling. God is not silent. The problem is, I believe that that most people just are not listening. We're not positioning ourselves to see and hear and respond to the Word of God. And the reality is that every human being that's sitting in this place this morning is faced with a divine opportunity. We are all at a fork in the road. For some of you, you're far from God, and the, the intersection this morning is one of faith and trust in the gospel of grace given by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's that's your fork in the road. For others, you're here this morning and and missions is that thing that other people do. Missions is the thing that those people standing around the tables do and you think those are extraordinary people. But the reality is if you talk to everyone at this missions conference, you'll find out that they are ordinary people who are being used by an extraordinary God. And so this morning, some of you are sitting here, and and the step of obedience that you're going to need to take is trusting that the Lord God has called you on mission with Him. So every divine opportunity is based upon the Word of God. God spoke to Abram. What did He say? He said, first of all, leave from your country. Leave from your country. His his country represents his sense of security. The city of Haran was likely a walled city. 
And when people gathered together in cities, there was safety and security in numbers. And yet the Lord God called Abram to move out of what he was basing his security on. He said, leave from your country and move into the wilderness and go to a land that I will show you. You know, many people have heard it said that the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. And I'm here to tell you this morning that that's a lie. The safest place to be is not in the center of God's will. God's word confirms time and time again that people who obey him oftentimes are faced with peril, but never apart from his own presence. So it may not be that the safest place to be is the center of God's will, but the best place to be is. I would imagine George Tupper, as he shared a little while ago, I would imagine over the years he has been faced with many uh, times, many challenges, many perilous situations. I know I have. When my wife and I moved to the western part of the Himalayas, we worked among Shiite Muslims there, and I'll never forget the day that I walked into the village that, that we were working in, and there was a young uh, teenager, probably 16, 17 years of age, who painted on the rock at the entrance of our village, death to the Americans. The problem is that that was personal. Myself, my wife, and my two children at the time were the only Americans in that village. In fact, we were the only Americans within an hour and a half drive of that village. We were the only Americans that young man had ever come across. And yet, we were faced with a, a situation where our security could not be in a country or in our safety, our security had to be based upon our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I think about years later when I was in the jungles of Panama working with uh, Spanish-speaking missionaries who were going in to plant churches among the indigenous Indians there. And there was one day in particular that I was surrounded by a group of drunk Indians who all carried machetes. And they were circling me around and threatening me. And I remember thinking to myself, all I had was a rock in my hand and a prayer on my lips. Lord, protect me. Or I think about a time in South Asia when we were doing some frontline evangelism and our interpreter was arrested. And then later that evening, the, the secret service for that country came to our hotel and pulled us into a dark room and began to interrogate us. You see, Abram was called to leave his idea of security behind and to rest that the word of the Lord and the presence of the Lord would be with him wherever he went. So the text says, get out of your country. Then it says, leave from your kindred, your family. So Abram was called to leave behind his sense of security, but he was also called to leave behind his, his notoriety, his family name, and all that he stood to gain from the reputation of his family in that city. Uh, what's in a name? When, when we speak the name of a famous person, their reputation follows after that name. And, and Abram was called to leave behind this privilege that would come along with his family name in that, that city. I think about 
uh, a missionary that perhaps you've never heard of, a guy named William Borden. William Borden was known as the millionaire missionary. His father owned one of the largest mining companies in the Rockies. And Borden was a philanthropist. He ended up graduating from Yale University. But on a trip around the world for his graduation gift, the Lord called him into missions. And Borden went home and rejected the opportunity to run his father's country and said, instead, I want to give my life for the cause of Christ among Muslim people in Western China. And so Borden set off leaving behind all that he stood to gain with his family name. He arrived in Egypt where he was going to study Arabic, and there he contracted meningitis and died. And history says that there in his Bible were the words, no reserves, no regrets. He never actually even made it to the mission field. And yet he said, no regrets. He had left behind his security, his notoriety. You know, Jesus taught in accordance with this. Jesus said, if you love your father and your mother, your sister and your brother more than me, then you cannot be my disciple. And so our notoriety, our family is a good thing. Family is from God. But our identity must not rest there. Our security must not rest there. And we must not live for the sake of our own name, but rather to make much of the name of Christ. You know, Jesus himself embodied this. We quoted, uh, the worship leader quoted just a little while ago, a section from Philippians chapter 2 where the apostle Paul um, says these, thing, th- these words. He says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he humbled himself and made himself of no reputation and was found in fashion as a man. And he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Divine condescension. Jesus had the security, the notoriety of the name above every name in heaven, and yet he left that behind and came to earth really as a missionary to reach out to those who were separated from God. He gave of himself that we might be reconciled to the Father. And so here in our text, we see that when Abram encountered the word from the Lord, the Lord said to leave from your country, that represents his security, leave from your kindred that represents his notoriety but then we also see it says to leave from your father's house that represents his prosperity now at some point in Haran his father we believe had already passed away and and Abram was a wealthy man but he did not cling to his wealth I think about the martyred missionary Jim Elliot. Uh, Many of you may have heard of his wife, Elizabeth Elliott, who's authored many books. Jim had been a student at Wheaton University. And he was not just any student. He was the star student. He was the big man on campus. Jim Elliott was the guy who won the preaching awards, the guy who had all of the accolades. Churches were coming after Jim Elliott and saying, hey, come pastor for us. We'll give you a house. We'll give you a car. We'll give you all of these things. 
And yet Jim Elliott had this unsettled calling within his life. He had faced a fork in the road and said, no, I must make the name of Jesus famous among those who have no access to the gospel. And so he left behind the notoriety and the potential of prosperity there at Wheaton, and he moved to Ecuador among the Alca Indians. And on one of his first times of trying to proclaim the gospel to those Indians, he and several other of his brothers were speared to death on a beach there in Ecuador. They gave their lives and yet never even got the gospel message out. And, and many people said, oh, what a waste. What a waste it is that such a talented young man gave his life and, and nothing ever became of it. Well, perhaps from a worldly standpoint, we would think that's a waste. But you, you, you need to know the, the rest of the story. You see, before Jim Elliott left, he had written in his diary these words. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, his life, his notoriety, his security, in order to gain what he cannot lose, an inheritance that's unmatched with our Father in heaven. Jim's wife, Elizabeth, ended up moving into that village, and they did not spear her or Jim's daughter. And years later, many of those Indians came to faith in Christ. And here's the beauty and the irony of this story, is that when Jim's daughter grew up and she placed her faith in Jesus Christ, the man who put the spear through her father's chest had converted and become the pastor of that village, and he baptized Jim's daughter. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Divine opportunities always bring us to that fork in the road, and it requires faith. If you look at the, at the text of Scripture, God says to Abram, go to a land that I will show you, future tense. He didn't fill in the blanks for Abram. He said, just start going and I will lead you. This requires faith and faith is a difficult and challenging thing because it, it forces us to trust in the character of God without having all the answers. We have to trust that God is good before we go. And so there, Abram stood at those city walls looking in at everything that was familiar and out at the unknown. And all he knew is that God had spoken and that he trusted God. And so he had to go. You know, faith is kind of like using a flashlight. When we shine a flashlight into the darkness of night, the, the flashlight doesn't necessarily illuminate our destination right away. The way a flashlight works is you must step into what has been revealed. And with every step, subsequently, the next step is revealed. I would imagine that's what it was like for Abram. As he stepped out in faith into the unknown, God continued to meet with him and to lead him and to guide him as he went. And I'll be honest with you, had I known where God would call and lead us, I would not have had the faith in 1991 to say yes. 
I wouldn't have had the faith for it. But I knew when God called me and told me that I, I, I must be born again, I took the step. And everything since has been shaped by that choice. I knew in 1996 that God was calling me to be a part of making his name famous among the nations. I didn't know where that would lead me, but I took a step, trusting in the character of God, that even if he called me to leave my security, my notoriety, my opportunity for prosperity, that he would be with me and he would be more than enough. I want you to see next in the text the corresponding blessings. After the crisis of faith that Abram faced, there were corresponding blessings. God says next, if you leave from your country, Abram, I will make you into a great nation. Leave your country and I will make you a great nation. Abram left behind the city of Haran, his security, and God multiple times encountered him and one time he says look at the ground you see all the sand your offspring your descendants will number as the sand on the shore and on another occasion out in the middle of the the wilderness God said look at the sky start counting the stars they're innumerable but your offspring will be as the stars in the heavens you see that, that sounds great, but Abram had become an old man. He and his wife were beyond childbearing years. So this required faith. He could not see how it would come to pass. I would imagine when George or many of the other missionaries who were here this weekend arrived in their country, in their location of service, they looked around at the lostness and they thought, How? Millions upon millions of people who are far from God, and not just far from God, in opposition to God. How? But God said to Abram, trust me. Trust me. I will make you into a great nation. And God says to each one of us today, as we look at the lostness around us in our neighborhoods and the lostness that exists in the world, nearly half of the world's population has no access to the gospel unless we take it to them. Recent statistics tell us that, that 70% of the people who live in this area will not come to church, even at an invitation. So what does that mean? If they're far from God and they won't come to church, or if they're far from God and they're living in a place where there is no church, then the implications for you and for me is that we must take the gospel to them. And trust, like Abram had to trust, that though we have to give up much in order to embrace that mission, that God will make something of nothing that he will use us ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary purposes. I, th I think of the great missionary William Carey back in the 1790s. He left from England to go to India. There was very little responsiveness to the gospel. And William Carey penned these words. He said, I want to expect great things from God, but I'm going to attempt great things for God. 
In other words, he trusted the character of God and he went into a place where there was little fruitfulness at the time. And he devoted the rest of his life. He, he translated the Bible into over two dozen languages. He expected great things from God, but he lived his life in such a way to attempt great things for God. Notice next in the text, God says, if you leave your country, I'll make you a great nation. He says, if you leave behind your, bless, your, your, your prosperity, I will bless you. Abram left the blessing of his earthly family, and God poured out blessings upon him. Why? Because Abram was blessed to be a blessing. God blessed Abram so that those blessings would spill over into the lives of others. He, he stopped living for his own prosperity and started living to make the name of God great among the nations. And that leads us to the final point here. God said, leave behind your country and I'll make you a great nation. Leave behind your, your prosperity, your, your family's wealth, and I will bless you. He says, leave behind your notoriety, your kindred, your family name, and I will make your name great. You know, Abram devoted his life to making God's name great. And yet, isn't it interesting that some 4,000 years later, we're all familiar with his name because he didn't live to advance his name. He lived to advance God's name. Some of these brothers and sisters who are standing around the missions tables this weekend, they're, they're ordinary people. and They've chosen to live a life, not to make their name great, but to make much of the name of Jesus. And though they may never be on television, they may never be in print, they may never have the notoriety of someone famous, they're fulfilled because they seized a divine opportunity. You know, it's amazing what can be accomplished when we don't care who gets the credit. And most of these missionaries who are here this weekend they don't care who gets the credit. They just want Jesus to be magnified. And we see finally in the text the overflow of obedience. As I mentioned a moment ago, when God blesses us, we have to realize as his children that his blessing is not for our privilege, but rather that we turn it around and bless others. We are blessed to be a blessing. If you ever receive written correspondence from me, that's the way I sign my name, blessed to be a blessing. It's a reminder to myself, if you ever greet me in a hallway or on a street somewhere, you'll say, hey, how are you doing? And I'll say, I'm blessed. It's a reminder to me that God has blessed me so that I don't live for myself. I live for the sake of his name among my neighbors and among the nations. And the text goes on. And concludes, it says, Abram, you shall be a blessing. And God says to him, I'm going to bless those who bless you. And I'm going to curse those who deride you. And then these amazing words. God says to Abram, and in you, Abram, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
What does that even mean? A man in the Middle East 4,000 years ago and God says, through your obedience, through your decision and, and your faith in joining me in this opportunity, all of the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Let's look and see what the Apostle Paul said those words mean. Turn with me very quickly to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. The first rule of interpreting Scripture is let Scripture interpret Scripture. And so let's see what Paul says about those words spoken to Abram. Galatians chapter 3, I'll start reading in verse 6. The Apostle Paul writes, just as Abram or Abraham believed God, he trusted God, he, he put his faith in God, and it was credited to him or counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith, those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's, that's you and me, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, the scripture preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So when God says, Abram, you are blessed to be a blessing, and Abram stood at a fork in the road, a divine opportunity. His obedience set into motion the unfolding of the redemptive plan of Almighty God. You see, God had made a promise back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that he would crush the works of the devil, he would overcome sin and death in the grave through the seed of woman. And here in Genesis chapter 12, we see that promise clarified. It will be through Abram's offspring that the promised rescuer, the Messiah, would come. And Abram had a son who had a son who had a son. You look at the Old Testament, and it's really one long, detailed answer to a very short and simple question. Who is the rescuer? And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, Matthew says, here he is. Here is the one who was promised. It says, and this is the beginning of the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. How would Abraham, seizing a divine opportunity, become a blessing to all nations? because it was through his faith that Messiah would come to rescue you, to rescue me. And today every person in this room is standing at a fork in the road. It, it may be that you've never embraced Christ as your Savior. You're at a fork in the road. That promise has come to you on this day. Or for those of you who call yourselves Christian, for those of you who have embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, understand this, you too are standing at a fork in the road today because that promise was never intended to stop with you. But rather, you have been blessed, East Cooper Baptist Church, to be a blessing to your neighbors and to the nations.
Which brings us to this picture. You may recognize this. June 5th, 1989. Tiananmen Square in China. This, this is a picture of a man who history has not recorded his name. He's an unknown. And the reason why I show you this picture is because this unknown man has become an icon of democracy. You see, China and its socialist government was trying to put down democratic ideals that were spreading through the universities of its country. And so in 1989, in a spectacular display of force, they decided we're going to roll the tanks of our army into Tiananmen Square for the world to see that we will not be stopped or shaped by Western democratic ideals. And this man, the tank man, we'll call him, had left home and gone to a market to get some food on that day. And when he was walking back home, he looks down the alleyway out into Tiananmen Square and he sees an evil that he simply cannot live with. You say, how do you know he had gone shopping? If you look in his left hand, there's a shopping bag. It's just a shopper. He, he had gone to the market to get some food and he looked out into the square and he saw the tanks and he said, I can't live with this. And so he acted and he stepped in front of the tanks and the world watched as he stood like a David in front of Goliath and moved back and forth in front of the tanks. And, and here's the deal. We, we all know that there hasn't been governmental reform in China, but this man stands as an icon, an ordinary unnamed man, literally has been used to change the world. In the wake of this, the Soviet Union collapses, the Berlin Wall had come down, the world transformed. And it continues to be transformed when ordinary people stand at a fork in the road and decide to go against security, notoriety, and prosperity and step in front of the tanks. There, there is a force in this world that is far more evil than any government form. And God is calling you, East Cooper Baptist Church, to be a part of the solution. You've been blessed to be a blessing. But we have to be careful. A.W. Tozer says, Christians don't tell lies. They just go to church and sing them. We see, sing things like, I surrender all, and we have no intention to. Or wherever he leads, I'll go. But we have no intention to step out of our own security. We need to be more like the man who penned these words. He said, I'm a, a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit's power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, with sight walking, with smooth knees, with colorless dreams, with tame visions, with worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarf goals. 
I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have the right to be first or tops or recognized or praised or regarded or rewarded. I live by faith. I lean on his presence. I walk in patience and I'm uplifted by prayer as I labor with Holy Spirit power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions may be few, but my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought or compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. I will not hesitate in the presence of the enemy. And I will no longer ponder at the pool of popularity or meander through the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up. I won't shut up. I won't let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus, and I must go until he comes. I must give until I drop. I must preach until all know. And I must work until he stops me. And when Jesus comes for his own, he'll know me because I seize the divine opportunity. Pray with me. Father in heaven, this morning I pray that your word has been clear. Help us to have the faith of Abram who trusted in your good character, seized a divine opportunity, and the world has been changed. An ordinary man in the hands of an extraordinary God. Do your work this morning, Lord. Save those who are far from you. Draw them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And for those who are your disciples, Lord, confirm them as ambassadors. Help them to live for more than their own security, popularity, prosperity. Help them to live for the sake of the name of Christ. To live life on mission until the whole world knows that Jesus is worth it. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.